Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name's Christian Allen, and I'm here with my co-host. You know him as Rod the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, I couldn't decide whether to full, <laughs> go the full name or I stop the hesitation. Rod and, uh, uh, anyway, we're going Rod the Pod Zabriskie today. Anyway, Sweet. what's up, Rod? How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm excited to jump on and have a an interesting conversation about everybody's favorite topic. Yeah, they've been they've been clamoring for this one for years. Clamoring to talk annuities revisited. Yep. Because we talked annuities not that long. I mean, I guess it's probably been a while ago. But, yeah, maybe but a lot of a lot of things has changed. A lot of yeah. things are different. Okay, but before we do that, we have to announce the tickets for the virtual summit are on sale. So you can go to Rod, I always forget this. MIVirtualSummit.com. That's it. Yep. Holy Moses, I need to get that right. Okay, go to MIVirtualSummit.com. You can get tickets. Early bird tickets are happening right now. Um, they're going on through, what's our date? Through We planned through April 4th. April 4th, yep. So when this comes out, there probably won't be a, a lot of time left. Yeah, maybe like a day. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we've got great speakers. Tom Wilwright, Sharon Lecter, Buck Joffrey, Rod Zabriskie, Chris Larson, Adam Carroll, the whole, the whole bunch. Yes. So it's going to be fun. Okay, Rod, let's jump into our topic for today. We're talking annuities revisited. Okay, Rod, so the reason, the reason we're calling it annuities revisited is because when I look back on that initial annuities episode we did what did, i don't yeah. remember what we called it but it was episode number annuities 62. 101 yeah okay we did annuities 101 yeah i felt like i was pretty negative overall toward annuities in general yeah. and um lots of things have changed now i'm not necessarily saying that my view on that has changed but i thought it was at least worth revisiting because of the difference in kind of the economics that we're dealing with sure like, think about so that was like 30 episodes ago which means interest rates were dr drastically different at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Starting to rise, but certainly not where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Rod, before the episode started, when we were talking, I promised to ask you a couple of questions that you're not prepared for because yes. before we get into a lot of this really interesting stuff that Rod's done a lot of prep on, like we're going to talk about the, the practical use and implementation of how annuities can actually work. But yeah. before we do that, Rod, I have a couple questions that I think if I was sitting on the other side listening to this, I would be interested in hearing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So here's the question. First question. Um, I feel like we, we've covered the annuity basics, but have we really covered the annuity fundamentals? Okay, now you're thinking those are like the same word, right? Yeah, hit me with. But they're what slightly thinking. different. Okay, they're slightly different, at least in my mind right now. Okay. So when I'm talking fundamentals, I'm talking the the intricacies, or at least the, a little bit deeper on how an annuity works. So um, what I mean is, what's driving the annuity and the rates specifically? Okay. So here's the question, Rod. Interest rates have changed, and we know that, and so there's some. So we know that there's like some correlation there, but what drives annuity rates, both in the short and long term, mm -hmm. and why are they so different today than what they were six months ago? Um, and then maybe, maybe Rod, we can even jump into, we just checked it out and found like, like a five-year one at 5.6%. Mm -hmm. And then the seven-year one was at like 4.7% or something yeah. like that. Right. Yep. So, so anyway, maybe we can, after you answer that initial question, we can talk about that as like a follow-up to understanding how it all works. So give us the fundamental concepts around how annuities are work from like a return perspective. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned interest rates. So that obviously matters. Well, why does that matter? Because we're dealing with life insurance companies that are offering these annuities. And as we've talked about in the past, what do 
life insurance companies use invest in most like most frequently bonds bonds yes okay okay so. so that leads us to another question rod yeah aren't the bonds like concerning right now we just saw banks fail it's a great question and, and we are going to get into more detail on this but here's what i can say okay. right now okay. and, and it goes back to your question about like well why would the five-year annuity offer a higher rate than the seven-year annuity fixed annuity historically that wouldn't be the case it would be like right. you, you lock it up longer you get a higher return yes and what historically or what usually is the case in the bond world is is the same as well if you buy a short-term bond you get a lower interest rate than you do if you buy a longer-term bond similar reason right if the company or the the government has the money for longer they're willing to give you a higher rate as a result well it turns out because of like the weird thing that's going on with interest rates, the Fed raising rates as quickly as they're raising them, bond rates, they call it an inverted curve. Instead of having higher rates be the longer term, you actually would have a lower rate. So uh, literally, if you bought a, a 10-year bond as compared to a three-year bond, you're going to get a lower return with the 10-year bond than the shorter one. And why? Because, and this goes back to your, your point about the banks, Weird things happen when there's a, a huge shift in interest rates as it relates to bond. And the worst direction that that can go is if you buy a bond at a low rate and interest rates go up, the value of your bond just went down. There's an inverse relationship there. As interest rates go up, the value of the bond goes down. So Silicon Valley Bank, the reason they got into trouble is because they bought these bonds at whatever it was, 2%. And now it was at 4% when they're needing to sell them. And so you had to, they had to sell them at a huge discount, had huge losses on those dollars as a result. Now, if you keep the bond to maturity, then you're fine, right? You bought it at 2%, you get the 2% return every year for the whatever duration it is, three years, five years, 10 years, and, and you're fine. The problem, the reason they got into trouble is because they had to actually sell the bonds. Mm. And they're selling them at a lower price, right? Right. Because they're, they're discounted. Huge discount. Uh, right? Okay. Okay. So, so at a fundamental level, I think that, I think that gives us a good idea, right? Like, um, and, and like you said, going into this conversation around why interest, why, why they're offering. Okay. Maybe just clarify this, Rod. Mm -hmm. Why generally speaking, a longer term bond or a longer term annuity pays a higher interest rate and why it's not happening today. Yeah. So it's the, it's the, what we call the time value of money, right? If I'm, if I'm going to give you money, you say, Hey Rod, can you give me a loan? And I say, okay, well, when are you going to be able to pay it back? And you say in six months, then I might charge you a different rate than if you said, I need to keep it for 10 years. Right. And that's basically what happens when so a bond, let's just say it's a corporate bond. The company wants to, build a new location or expand in some way. So they're, they need to raise capital to do that. They'll, they'll do it through debt. So they offer this bond. Well, people who buy the bond, they're going to buy it for, you know, X period of time. And the longer the company is saying they need to keep your money before they give it back to you, the higher rate to typically the higher interest rate they have to charge or sorry, pay I'm on the company side. They're, they're paying a higher interest rate to the bondholder, uh, the longer they're going to keep it. So that's generally the way it works because in a more stable interest rate environment, you can more predictably anticipate what's going to happen when you're in an environment where rates triple over the course of eight months, then not so much, right? So then the shorter term stuff there, people are like, okay, well, are the companies or the government or, or whatever, whoever's offering the bond are thinking, well, I know I can offer this at, at this rate. Uh, today, I don't know so much what it's going to look like in three years, in five years, what interest rates will be, because we're just like in a crazy period right now. So that's why you have that inverted curve. And that just throws all kinds of different things into whack, out of whack. Okay. Thanks, Rod. I feel like that's helpful. That's cool. so we got, we had to get to the fundamentals, right? Understand what's yeah. driving interest rates, because if there's any, any difference in opinion today, it would have to be because that core fundamental looks 
better than it did at that time. Because really, mm-hmm. my problem with annuities at the time was, hey, if it just it just doesn't make sense to lock your money up at two percent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for any duration of time, most likely. I mean, mm-hmm. y- you could make an argument, you know, if you're going to, you know, your money's going to sit in the bank for a year that you put it in a CD or something. But like, aside from something like that, there's probably not a lot of reason to lock up your money at that kind of low interest rate. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there could, however, be some real value in locking up money at higher interest rates. So it's an interesting because so right now we don't know what interest rates are going to look like in a year or two or five, mm-hmm. it's a little bit unpredictable, right? Like right. it could kind of go either way, but there is a real possibility that interest rates do start to go back down. And if that's the case, then the longer you've been able to lock in your 5.6% annuity, the happier you're going to be at least yeah. with that money that you want to be like, you know, safe money. Yeah. And, and it, it obviously becomes very speculative, but if you think interest rates are going to go down, go buy bonds. Fair point. Right. Fair point. Because the, the reverse would happen in from what we described earlier. You buy yeah. the bond now, the interest rates go down. Well, the value of your bond just went up. Because if someone's buying new bonds and they can go get it at two percent, or they can buy your bond at four percent, they have to pay more to get yours than than to get you know what they're paying on a new a new bond. Okay. All right, Rod. Let's jump into the practical side of annuities. Okay. Okay. Let's so, do it. um, Let's just kick it off, Rod. Who can benefit from annuities? And I, I have to say, Rod put together this outline, and it's very detailed. He tends to do that. So, Rod, I'm going to do my best to keep the flow going yeah. while we make sure we hit on all the important points. Does that sound yeah. fair? Yep. That okay. Good. But I like it. This first part, I'll take the first part and kind of get us going. Okay. And then, because uh, it's going to get more detailed than you're going to need to jump in. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, here we go. Who can benefit from annuities? Rod's suggesting mm-hmm. three groups of people. The first one would be people looking for guaranteed cash flow in retirement. Okay. The second one would be people looking for protected growth. And when you say protected growth, you mean you're looking for accumulation, mm-hmm. but you're not willing to put it at the like principal at risk. Yeah. You don't like the volatility of the market or, or other, the risk in, in other places. And so this can give you some 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 upside potential but but protected on the downside okay okay and specifically there we're talking like i mean i guess it doesn't make doesn't matter whether we're talking indexed annuities or fixed now we should clarify we aren't talking variable annuities yeah we'll bring it up here in a short moment uh, here while we're talking just for context but yeah we're pretty much talking about Fixed and in this case, the protected growth side, it's the index annuities. Is, is what's there happening. are there are a few places where I believe a variable annuity can make sense, but but most of the time, if you're going to invest in the market, my my belief is that you well, I, there are times that it can make sense. Again, specifically if you look at it as a potential retirement income play or something uh, like that, I can see places where there could create value. So I, I don't want to even teaser. suggest that there's no opportunity there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk. Let's talk about those those three items, Rod: guaranteed cash flow under time, our protected growth, and then the third one was asset asset based long term care. So yeah. tell me this: why are those the three? And sh- are you challenging me to see if I can come up with any additional ones? <laughs> if if yeah, if you have anything <laughs> else, that's great. Uh, but but really, I just think through the the way the conversations have gone with with people in the past and. Really, these are these are generally the directions we're going. If someone is looking for any of these three items, then annuities are at least something we're we're we have on the table we're considering as uh, potentially offering. Okay, okay, and I actually do. I agree with it. As I was thinking about like situations, you did a pretty good job of being broad enough that like you could probably stick any, any like strategic way of using it would probably go into one of those three. Yeah. I hope so. Okay. And we'll get into more of those, those kind of different branches that can come off of those as well. Okay. Well, let's start, let's start at the top then guaranteed cash flow and retirement. What do you, what do you mean when we say that? Okay. So we'll actually get into more detail on that. Okay. Um, I, I did throw a little um, extra piece in here cause I, I wanted to make sure there's clarity between qualified money versus non-qualified money. 
That's important. Because in any of these that we're going to talk about, you can use both. Uh, but there are some nuanced differences uh, if you do. So I figured let's hit on that first. And then as we get into okay. a different implementation, then okay. if you're thinking I'm about qualified you. funds, at least have some context or non-qualified. Okay, Rod, let's start by defining qualified versus non-qualified. That it's, it's super important, right? So mm -hmm. talk about what the difference is and how someone would know the difference. Okay, yeah. So qualified basically just means it's inside of a retirement wrapper. 401k, 403b, 457, uh, TSA, IRA, any of those things are what we're considered, we're calling qualified. Uh, it was pre-tax going in. Later on, when you take money out, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. And so if, when you take any of, the, of that money and you put it into an annuity, and actually I'll, I'll say this, like a 457, it is an annuity inside of a qualified plan with an employer usually a, a government entity, but um, at the end of the day, when we're talking about, you know, moving qualified money into an annuity, it keeps its IRA wrapper, stays qualified money because uh, it's not considered a distribution. It's just a transfer into a, another qualified account. Uh, but then later on, when you do take distributions, whether you're just taking withdrawals or whether you're taking it as income, that all that money, when it comes back out, is going to come out at the ordinary income rates. Okay. Okay. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind, right? We, well, actually go into non-qual first. Okay. Let's talk about the rules. Let's just knock all of it out. Yeah. So the, an interesting thing happens when you have money that was not in a retirement account before it comes in, it's, it's after tax sitting in a brokerage account or a CD or something else. And you're saying, well, instead I want to now move it into an annuity because I want some of these benefits we're going to talk about. Well, it's not an IRA because it's it's not qualified money. What's interesting though is the the IRS um, has called annuities kind of like a semi-retirement account, right? So be, because it it is retirement money, it's intended to be retirement money because it's an annuity. Um, so it takes on, for example, the fifty nine and a half rule. If I put the money in and I'm only thirty years old, and I I need to not plan on using that money until I'm fifty nine and a half. I've now put it into a retirement account, again, a semi-retirement account, because it now is subject to that 59 and a half rule, okay? Uh, which means that it grows tax deferred. All the growth that I get, I'm not going to 1099 at the end of each year. Uh, but when I do take money out, then I'll pay tax. I, I have to take its life last in, first out. The interest or the growth that I've had in the account is the money I'm taking out first. I'm fully taxed on that. If I've, if I've taken all that out and now I'm tapping back into my basis or the money I put in, I'm not going to be taxed on that because I already paid tax on that before I put it in, right? Yep. And it is ordinary income tax rates. Correct. Yep. So not um, capital gains rates. Yeah. But it's not a traditional retirement because I'm not going to have like RMDs or something if I get to 72 and I haven't taken the money out. They're gonna not, not going to force me to start taking it out. So it's... Again, semi-retirement account status. Yeah, that's. I think that's a fair way to put it. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. So I think that that establishes it. Basically, we're talking about money that's in an IRA wrapper. That's your qualified money. Mm -hmm. If it's not, it's non-qualified money. Yep. Okay. And there are some slight differences, like you've talked about. We can get into yes. those in other places. As we're talking about strategies, we can hit on you know, again, why that status of being qualified or non-qualified ends up yep. being so important. Like you said, you don't want to be the 32 year old who might be excited because you're seeing, uh, you know, a, a five or 6% fixed interest rate annuity. You're like, I'll just throw, I'll just throw, you know, some extra cash there. And then you realize that, oh, I can't get back at it mm -hmm. without a 10% penalty. Yep. Well, you don't want to do that. Yep. So we want to be smart about it. Um, okay. So Rod, let's get into the first thing. And that is how to create guaranteed cash flow in retirement. That was one of our kind of core things. So let's dive into how we actually do it. Yeah. And, and the context for this is uh, we also did an episode that we're, where we talked about retirement cash flow. And one of the things that we suggested is for, for some people, uh, they like the idea of creating some level of guaranteed income, right? To to cover their just maybe basic expenses, 
so that the maybe cash flow coming off of their other investments or other things they're doing can take care of the more lifestyle things, but they want to make sure that at the very least they have guaranteed income to cover those basics. So uh, an annuity is is a great way and and really one of the only ways on a guaranteed basis. Like you have pensions and other things like that that are usually outside of your control. But as an individual, if I'm saying I want to create my own guaranteed income, then really an annuity is is the place I'm going to go to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, like there's other things I can do to create a cash flow, mm -hmm. right? But they're not necessarily guaranteed. They might be strong and steady and have like, you know, if I go get a, a real estate property that can create cash flow, mm -hmm. but it is not the same. And this one is defined and, and meant to, well, in, in this example, right, it's meant to produce income that you can't outlive. Yep. yep, exactly. And then, so now how do we define outlive? That may seem pretty simple, but um, for a married couple, it, it becomes a something you have to consider because an annuity can be set up for an individual for that individual's life. So when that the income is guaranteed to pay out, when that individual passes away, then the income stops. Or you can set it up as what they call joint so that it's for, for both and the income continues until the second person passes away. Yeah, and as of you, course... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, as you may imagine... <laughs> I think you, I you, jumped the gun. No, yeah, you can get more income if it's the single life. But if I... If I choose that, then Jody's really not going to like me very much if I pass away before she does and the income stops, unless we made other plans. To, ah, to there you it. go. That's a good, that was a good caveat because I think that is important. There's yeah. certainly opportunities to plan and you might have some assets that are meant for one, you know, to, and we talk about using life insurance as a way to plan for that. Um, but it's not the only way, right? Sure. You could yeah. decide that, hey, we're, we've as a couple determined that we want to, maximize the income coming from this place and this other asset is deemed you know that's going to come in and replace the income that might have been lost so there's yeah. other ways to do it but life insurance is kind of an obvious one because obviously once the person dies the money then kicks in and replaces that so right. yep okay and we can talk more about that okay so single life joint life rod talk about these weird acronyms, SPIA, DIA, gosh, I, I'm, I'm like hesitant to even say that. But anyway, there's <laughs> SPIA, it's S-P-I-A, and then the DIA is D-I-A. Talk about those. Yeah, so those are what are called, uh, well, SPIA stands for Single Premium Immediate Annuity. You're taking a lump sum of money, giving it to the insurance company in exchange for a guaranteed income stream. Okay, the asset went away, that that lump sum of money no longer exists in, in your world, has no value to you in the except in the form of that guaranteed income coming to you. Uh, DIA is, is very similar. It's just called, called a deferred income annuity where you're saying, hey, I'm going to take this lump sum of money. I know I want it to create income, but I just don't need it now. It's not an immediate thing that's going to be two, five, 10 years in the future that, they're, that I'm going to ask the insurance company to turn on that income, but I'm giving them the lump sum now. Why in the world would I do that, Rod? Uh, the, it's going to be product specific, but um, for by waiting, the insurance company is going to offer you higher amounts of income than they would if you were saying, hey, I need the income to start now. Yep. And then and, and I say the nice thing, and I think this is true, like there there's good reasons to use most products that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, they're just kind of specific, right? So in a situation like that, if you felt like, um, it was really valuable to know exactly what the number is going to be, that's the value you get from a deal. I, yeah. I can actually make a deal today to determine what income stream I'm going to get at a future point. So it's not like it just grows in the market or even that it, they necessarily assign an interest rate to it. Normally that's mm -hmm. more that they're assigning an income value that exists at the time that you decide to take it. Yep. yep. Now, Guaranteed so for somebody that is really looking for certainty now and in the future, that could be a valuable um, opportunity. Yep. Okay. So single premium immediate annuity, that's our SPIA, the deferred income annuity, that's our DIA. And both of those again are like your typical, when you think of annuities, it's just, you give the insurance company a lump sum of money 
they pay you out um, a guaranteed income stream for a period of time or life or whatever, mm -hmm. which you're mm -hmm. going to get into. Um, that's what that's what D is and SPIAs are. Yeah. Okay. And the, when the, when it's for a period of time, they call that period certain. So, for example, if I said, "Hey, I'm I'm giving you this lump sum of money," it goes away, but I'm getting this income. But I don't want to just like be totally out of that and and you know disinherit my spouse or my kids if if I die like next year. So what often happens is they'll say uh, 10 years certain or 15 years certain with life income so that it's if I live past the 10 year certain income is going to continue for as long as I live till I die. Um, but if I die sooner, then I at least know someone's getting money for that specified period of time. It's not just all going away. Okay. And again, like you said, at least that are, that we're aware of, this is the only way to accomplish that kind of like specific objective, right? Yeah. So it's unique in that way. Yeah. And it's also fair to say that it's the way to create the highest income as a percentage of that initial asset that I'm, that I'm kind of turning over to the insurance company. In other words, when you look at the actual payout rates of those, they might say, Hey, if you give us the, the hundred thousand today and you say you want 10 years certain, but, but income for life, then they might say, well, we'll give you a 10% payout rate or a 9.9% .9 payout rate. Whereas if we talk about some of these other options, uh, it might be more like a five or a 6% payout rate, which is a huge difference, right? Yeah. So uh, it's the, the highest way to, to create the most income based on the initial asset. And again, on a guaranteed basis, because there's Correct. lots of ways to create cash flow and other and other with yeah. other assets, but specifically in this world. Okay. Great point. Okay. Perfect. So now we're going to jump into this conversation around index, variable annuity, income riders. Where do you want to take it? Yeah. It, so now we're talking about um, an asset that is yours, um, but it's now sitting inside of this annuity and it has an income rider attached to it. Income rider just meaning that you have a, a, the ability at some point in time to turn on a guaranteed stream of income. You don't have to necessarily start that now, but you could. You could use this type of a vehicle and still create income immediately. Um, but Rod, I just thought most of cases we're waiting. Yeah. I, I think we need to clarify this. Okay, so so we talked about the single premium immediate annuity and the deferred income mm -hmm. annuity, and now we're moving away from immediate income or or definitive income products, okay. right? Yeah. I think that's important. Okay, Rod, one thing I think that would be helpful to clarify as we jump into this conversation around index and variable annuities is that we're now moving from income annuities specific to what we call deferred annuities, which just means that there's likely a deferred time frame. Now, I say that, and D is kind of a funny one because it's mm -hmm. both deferred and an income, but it's one that you hand over the money and it's gone. Correct. Now we're talking about when you put money in, you still own the underlying asset, and that's probably the biggest delineation different and difference between direct income and or when we go to deferred annuities. Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and. There are several reasons that's important. The biggest thing is that, yes, it's still your money sitting in an account and it's still yours, right? Um, and and then when you defer or, or if you decided to access a part of it before you start taking the actual in guaranteed income, et cetera, all of those are options. Or if you die in the shorter term rather than longer term, then in, in the earlier example, I was saying that they will guarantee this payout for the 10 years or 15 years or whatever the period certain was. In this case, the asset still exists in your own account. So your heirs inherit the cash that's still sitting there. There's no like income Im implied there. It's just an asset that's there. They, they inherit the asset. Yep. And again, super important. That's There's a big difference between those two. Yeah. And so now as we delineate the purpose behind the annuity, what we're going to do uh, is right now talk about why or how someone does uses a deferred annuity to create guaranteed streams of income. And then in a minute, we'll, we'll contrast that with someone who isn't necessarily looking for income. It's more about appreciation. And then third is the long-term care based asset. So in 
the rest of our conversation, we are talking specifically about this type of a deferred annuity and, and no longer going to do anything with the, the SPIDEA, you know, pure income type of annuity. Okay. Okay. And, and again, like we could talk about, there are some strategies where those could make sense, um, but they're, they're kind of less common that those mm -hmm. come up. So mm -hmm. if we were, when we spend time working with people in the retirement income space, while those exist and can be utilized, more often than not, we're going to lean toward using this other, just because, you know, once you give up the asset and those are gone. And mm -hmm. over here, we have a lot more optionality, if that's a word. We have more flexibility. And again, maybe most importantly, we own the underlying asset regardless. So for those reasons, we're going to spend more time um, getting into strategies around um, index annuities specifically. Correct. Yep. And I did include variable annuities because again, if you're looking specifically at the income rider, then there, there could be they some reasons similar... to, yep, to choose yeah. a variable annuity. Um, and really it just goes down to the product and we'll talk in a minute about kind of some of the product variations and why someone might choose one versus another. Um, but getting back to the core, uh, with the income rider attached, we are in a situation where we can create a guaranteed income for life. So we're still yes. in that in that category, this this first category of how to create guaranteed cash flow for in retirement. Uh, using this kind of an income rider is a great way to do that. Well, and I think it's worth considering because, you know, over the almost 20 years that I've been doing this, there's been times where I've seen um, index products that are performing better, but I've seen, mm -hmm. there's been times when I've seen variable products that are actually performing specifically as it relates to that income rider piece. Yes. So, and th the other thing is they have, they oftentimes will have different goals and objectives, right? Mm -hmm. So I may, I may be able to get something in the variable annuity um, from an income perspective that they're not offering in the indexed annuity space that I really like. And that might be the reason that I choose one or the other, but, but those are all the things to put out there. And I think the, the biggest thing is, is that if we're being um, fair and trying to be, what's the objective, mm -hmm. you should be looking at both of them. Yeah, because it is. It's just looking at the options and picking the one that you like best. Um, now, when when you do get to a place where you're starting to turn that income on, again, whether it's right away or waiting five or 10 years before you start that income, when you do start drawing on that income, it is drawing out of your account value. So to use an example, let's say I put 500,000 into it. I waited 10 years before I was ready to start taking the income. Now it's worth a million. And I'm I'm taking whatever, $60,000 a year of guaranteed income. Then the that 60,000 is actually coming out of my million dollar account base, right? Yeah. So when the if I were to draw that down to where that my account value actually does go to zero, obviously it would take several years before that happens, right? I have to live another, whatever, 20 years or something before that happens. But once that does draw down to zero, the income is still guaranteed. At that point in time, if I die or when I die, there's no inheritance for my kids because the actual asset has, I've depleted it but the income is guaranteed to last the rest of my life and, and or my wife's life if, if we did the joint, right? So I think that's really critical to understand. Okay, okay. So we've, I think we've got, we've got the core stuff down. What else do we wanna talk about as it relates to income? Yeah, we talked about that there are product variations on how the, the income gets created. And we're not gonna get into like, specific products of product A versus product just, B or whatever. Yeah, there's but, too many of them, first of all. Um, yeah. And they they can be quite complex, right? So yeah. like if we were doing a, it would take us hours to do one of those. Yeah. And it would be really boring. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so yeah, we were not going to do that, but we are going to talk about the core of what they are and the yep. differences. Yep. And I'm going to, I'm basically going to put it into two um, differentiators. The first one is, is when do you want to start income? Because if you want to start okay. income immediately, there will be certain products that are better suited for immediate, I mean, starting that income right now, as compared to other products that are designed and better suited for deferring income. And then how long am I going to defer it? 
Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Again, I don't have to necessarily decide exactly when I'm going to take income. But if I have an idea, that will lead me to products that are going to be more favorable for a five-year deferral versus a 10-year deferral or, or whatever. Rod, why do you think there's so much variation from, I mean, and I have some ideas on this too, but why do you think there's so much variation in what happens from product to product, company to company? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I can tell you from, you know, being in the space, like it absolutely is something you need to shop. Like Mm -hmm. you have to look at the options and they change. But anyway, from your perspective, why do we see that out there? Yeah, I I think part of it has to do with, uh, companies wanting to set themselves apart, be a little bit different. Um, and, and a lot of them are, are pretty vanilla are pretty similar, but there are a couple of companies out there, especially that are pretty creative, pretty innovative in, in the way that they set them up. So I think that becomes one point. And then maybe the second one is that just, you know, demand like clients or, or potential clients are looking at the the product offerings and they're saying, Oh, it's not quite hitting the mark. If it did this or if it did that, then, then I would be more interested. And so the, the products that were offered stay on the table because there are people who like those, but then as they offer additional products, I think just over time, it's just branched into a, so many different directions and categorically they may all be similar, but with just, differences, nuanced differences from one company, one product to the other. Yeah. And it is really interesting. Like there's, like I say, there's, there's pretty drastic differences depending on what you're looking for. And I think the product design, like that, that's a big part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the companies that want to differentiate themselves. I think that absolutely is a component. Um, And then in addition to that, this, okay, this is a really interesting thing. Most people don't know that insurance companies know going into the year how much they want to sell yeah okay so most people would assume like company a just wants to sell as much as they possibly can Mm -hmm. of any product they can right if they can get it out there and it's appropriate for the customer or the client then great that's actually not how it works they will be a lot more um, calculated in how that works right so it might be that we i create a, a product that's meant to do abc it's it's really meant to focus on um, inflation adjusted income, right? Yeah. But they, but they want to make sure that their exposure to that is only so high. So what ends mm-hmm. up happening is they basically put it out there with an idea, a general idea of how much they're willing and wanting to sell of that product. And then going into the year, you know, there's probably places where obviously where they're excited to go above. But my point here is just that there's a lot of risk calculation that's happening um, both on the front end and on the back end. And I think all of these reasons that we've talked about are reasons as to why there's just huge variation. But again, the core of what you need to know as a consumer is that you need to shop the companies because the goal that you're looking for, the goal that you're looking to accomplish could have three or four different companies that do it relatively well, but at the given moment, one might be better than the other. Yeah. So it's interesting. And we yeah. do that every time. So like it could be a week later that the same a person comes in with the same goals and objectives and we're still going to go check the product and make sure that the product we used a week earlier was still fitting and making sense. Yeah. And still the best option because there could be another company in the meantime that came up with a different variation or like you said, by volume, they want to incentivize people more so now than they were thought they needed to a week ago to to move the product. Yeah, that's another one. That's a good point. There's they create incentives both for the consumers, right? Sometimes they'll add a little bonus, but they'll mm-hmm. also and they'll also create incentives for the agents, mm-hmm. right? Yep. If they need us need to or want to sell more of a certain product. Yep. That's so interesting. Um, okay, so that's the first. So we talked about the one differentiator being when you want to start income will determine okay. product. The second one is how you want the income value to grow. What I mean by this is. A lot of these companies will have, you'll have the underlying account value. So I talked about the example, you put the 500,000 in and based on what's happening in the index or the market, depending on if it's index annuity versus variable annuity, then the actual account value will change over time. But then they'll have a separate measure uh, that they, a value that they measure inside of it, they call it the income value. And that is 
separate from the account value. It's not actual real dollars out there that that are uh, that you could go and access, but it's a value that they're using to calculate the income that you are able to get later when you're ready to turn it on. And a couple of examples are some annuities might say, well, we'll give you a X percent increase every year on your income value, regardless of what happens in your actual account value. So at that 500,000, they say, we'll give you a, whatever, a 10% increase on your income value for every year you defer and wait to take that income. And then they might define it and say, that's 10% simple. That's in most cases, that's going to be simple, but in some cases it is compounded. So uh, if it's simple that they're just saying for every year you defer, we'll give you an, a 50, in my example, if you have 500,000 going in, we'll give you a $50,000 increase on your income value for every year you defer. But then there's usually a cap on that as well. So I mentioned earlier, if you know you're going to most likely wait for five years versus 10 years, you, you can get products that are more specific to that because at the end of the five years, they might say, we're no longer giving you that increase or 10 years or whatever it is. So Brad, can I just tell you this concept <clears throat> has confused a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I understand the reason why people, why it's done, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being around it and understanding like the nuanced differences that, that we can create by having that separation. But can I just tell you, like, I can't tell you the number of people over the years that have been like, well, I get, I have a 10% guarantee and I'm like, yeah. well, you, you have a 10% <laughs> guarantee on an income value. That's like, it's so drastically different. And then when people, right. what happens so often is when people hear that and they're like, they, they find out from another agent or someone that didn't sell it to them that, oh, this is not what I thought it was. So mm -hmm. can I just tell everybody like annuities, index annuities, variable annuities, they're relatively complex. You've got to make sure you understand them because um, sadly that's fooled a lot of people into thinking they had something that they did not. Yep. It's true. On the other hand, it can be powerful. If you, if you're buying it and you know what you're getting, um, that could still be really like a really great deal. You just have to know that that's what's happening. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Okay, there's so my, that my, no, I think it's my a great consumer show. warning. My consumer yeah, warning. absolutely. Good, good. Uh, and then one other variation on that. So I talked about uh, a simpler compounded like set in interest in uh, increase that you get on that income value. Um, the other way that they'll often do it is based on the performance of the index. If the if the index is performing better than your amount of income well, the amount in your income value, right, yes. goes up accordingly. Um, but again, it's tied to the performance of the index instead of this kind of like straight line increase like I described a minute ago. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's various ways. And so what ends up happening is, is you kind of have to go make some educated guesses on how you think the market will perform. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's difficult. So, but I, I, there, all I know is that for the right people, there's tremendous value in being able to have a guaranteed income without having to give up the underlying value. Because that's scary, right? That that just is hard to do. Yep. I mean, maybe not always, right? There's situations where it just makes a ton of sense. But for most people, it's really difficult to just give that give the money away. Whereas this gives you the option to say like, hey, I'm going to... I could use the underlying value or I could use this income value. I've got the choice. Yep. I'm paying something for that income value, yes. but it still provides a value that gives me maybe it's peace of mind or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then we're going to talk about next, uh, you know, the situation where people don't want anything to do with the income riders. Yeah. Right. Not worried about it at all. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad you said that last point because those income riders, uh, I mean, I hate to say always, but pretty much always come with a cost. If you want that guaranteed income rider on your policy uh, and from day one, you're going to pay a fee to have it there. So yep. That's understand part of what that is as well. Yeah. And, and those are wildly different too, yep. right? One of the reasons that variable annuities have gotten a bad name in the past is because they have a tendency to be, to end up being 
um, higher price. They aren't all that way. Um, mm -hmm. and they can be done, it can be done relatively well, but you know, just be, and the same thing applies though, to index annuities. There's mm -hmm. some that I've seen that are just like outrageous and I don't, I can't figure out how anyone could ever sell it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't even understand why the insurance companies are offering it. So yeah. anyway, make sure you're, you're thoughtful in that. Yep. Good. Okay. If, uh, the next two, we're going to be a little more simple. So there's, they're just more straightforward. There aren't as many moving parts like all these things we had to talk about on the income riders. So, okay. So let's, let's dive into it, Rod. Yeah. How to use annuities for what we're calling protected growth. So yep. now we're not worried necessarily about the income specifically. We're just, we just want our money to grow, create, we want it to accumulate value. Uh, but we don't want to do, leave it exposed to losses. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is a situation someone comes and they say, well, I'm, I'm worried about those things. I, maybe it's currently in the market, especially for those qualified accounts when it was in the 401k or whatever, pretty much all of them are invested in the market. You just kind of take that on. And when yep. people it's kind of put on their own to decide what they want to do with it. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to keep it is exposed, like you said, to, to that, are there other options? And that, that's when often an index annuity comes into play for that type of person. So just to really quickly recap how index annuities work, uh, the there's a specific market index associated with it. So let's just, again, say it's the S&P 500. And any year where the S&P is up, you'll participate in a portion of the growth. Any year where the index is down, you don't participate in the losses. You don't earn any interest in that year, but you don't participate in the losses. And uh, there are a few different ways how they measure how much upside how much upside potential you have. Um, often they they use caps, so it might be S and P five hundred. And this was Christian's favorite. Two years ago, the cap on the S and P might have been like two and a half percent or something, right? <laughs> yeah, like, and I just thought, who in the world is buying that? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, someone wants so. Um, in the case where we were using annuities, uh, went well, interest rates were low. We were instead using stuff like what they call a participation rate. So it says, well, of what the S and P does or of whatever the index does, you participate in X percentage of it. And if it was the S and P, it might've been like 40% when, when interest rates were low. Now you might be up more into the 60, 70, 80%. Um, or if it's some of these other types of indexes, you might actually be above hundred percent. They might say, well, you're using this, they call it a volatility controlled index. Um, it's not the same as investing in like the S&P. You're not going to have as much upside potential, but that's why when it comes to participation, right, you, they'll give you 140% or something like that. So Yeah, they're not expecting it to get 30% return and you to get like, okay, can I also just say this, like as we're getting into this now, now this changes, we used to tell people, well, it's, it just depends on the interest rate time frame. Mm -hmm. But I would say right now, you probably are going into an index annuity with like a five to 8% return profile, right? So yep. you're not going in there. If you're expecting it to get 20, probably not the right place to go. Yeah. Um, while I've seen some index annuities do really well and have double digit returns, I wouldn't go in there with that expectation. Five to eight. That's my that's my number. What do you think? Rob? Yeah. That well, I know. I, I, and there's a reason for that, because what's interesting is, is we might show someone annuity today. And when they say, hey, based on where the cap or the participation participation rate is right now, worst case, historically, you could have done was nine percent or something like that. Right. Um. And so then someone might say, well, if the worst case historically was 9%, then how come you're telling me still expect five to eight? Well, if interest rates go down again, your caps and your participation rates are going to go down again. So 9% based on what interest rates are doing now is obviously realistic, and especially in that example, if, if the historical is that's your low point. But knowing the way things work and having seen... Uh, decade long period where interest rates were really low, you have to realize that that those caps and participation rates do go down as interest rates go down. So you know, and and again, there's the possibility that 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 doesn't happen and interest rates stay sure. higher for longer and mm -hmm. and then the the return profile could end up being higher. But again, usually if you're going into annuities in general, they're they're a more conservative vehicle. So like you're not going in there trying to drive massive returns. You're going in there maybe first and foremost for the protection and secondarily 
for the growth aspect. Yep, for sure. Okay, um, Rod, what what other components do we need to talk about as it relates to just using simple growth annuities? Index. Yeah. Annuity. Talk about the 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 most important components. Yeah. So the idea on this one is I'm putting the five hundred thousand or whatever I'm putting into it, and I want it to grow on a protected way. Uh, I want to also have some access to it. So when I'm ready to to use it, I'm I'm going to be, be able to access it. So, uh, and I want it to be pretty lean. So the nice thing about approaching an indexed annuity in this way is in most cases, you can get it without any additional fees. So we talked about fees on the income rider. That's true. Um, but usually when you look at just the base, uh, account itself, they don't have additional fees associated with it. Now, the thing that you do need to realize, and, and I think we talked about this in our 101, but is vital here. When you access it, you have access to up to 10% per year of what they call a free withdrawal. If you access more than that, then you'll start to get into some surrender penalties, which are higher in the early years, go down as, as time goes on. So again, if you're putting it in there and expecting that you're going to need to access large amounts of it, especially in the shorter term, then an annuity would not be appropriate for that situation. Okay. And you know, it's interesting, Rod, this is probably where annuities have primarily gotten their bad name. Now I'm not saying that annuities are bad. I'm just saying that if you type in annuities, um, you're going to see a lot of people who have negative things. To say. Mm -hmm. Most of them are coming from Fisher Investments, but there's still a lot of negative negativity out there around annuities. And I think the reason is because they could just be improperly used, right? Mm -hmm. For these couple of things that we've talked about. If you've got limited liquidity, then you've got to make sure you're planning appropriately, yep. right? And then the combination of that and working primarily with older people mm -hmm. and there being this kind of problem with um, elder abuse, I think those are probably the, the things that have given the overall you know, idea of annuity is a bad name. Yep. But if we look at the core of what they are and understand it and do our due diligence, they can be, you know, a vital piece in an overall strategic retirement cash flow plan. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. okay I have one, one more, um, just caution, just, or there's something for people to be aware of. And this is the payoff when we talked earlier about how bonds are involved with this and, and why interest rates, you know, impacted, et cetera. Uh, there's this little thing called the market value adjustment, just to be aware of, okay? And essentially what it does is, uh, again, I, we talked earlier, if you take more than 10% of withdrawal in the early years, then you have this additional surrender charge that goes with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, in that same scenario, you're taking more than 10% is where this market value adjustment could come in as well. Because if the interest rates at the time you're taking that money out, are higher than the time when you put the money into the annuity, then you could also have an adjustment, uh, pay an additional penalty, so to speak, because of what we talked about earlier. In other words, you you put the money into the annuity, the insurance company went out and bought bonds. But if interest rates have gone up significantly and you're forcing them into a position where they have to sell bonds to get money back to you, which is basically what's happening when you go above that 10% free withdrawal amount, then you you have to bear the the burden of of the the loss of of value there right okay so here's the question rod can that work both ways yes it does, <laughs> yes, it does. i've seen it i've seen it i inherited a book of business that had at least you know a handful of these market value adjustment annuities that worked in in their, in their favor were right? in the favor of the yep of the annuitant who then got more than they actually expected yeah, and it made sense to actually surrender the the policy or the account early mm -hmm. to take advantage of that, and then move move that. Basically, mm -hmm. the equivalent, like like I talked earlier about that. Um, if you buy bonds now and you think interest rates are going to go down, it's because you want to sell them and and uh, get a profit. Well, the same thing happened in in that example with those. So, uh, okay, Rod, let's talk about. How to use annuities in conjunction with long-term care. Yeah. That's our third topic of, you know, the place that we feel like um, annuities can be useful. And can I just tell you, there are, I just thought of a couple other places where annuities could be useful. Okay. But, but they, you know, as I think about it, they still fit into like accumulation or what was our other one income. there? 
or income. Yeah. Um, but I can think about, you know, some stuff in the charitable planning world, but sure. again, they're going to be used for either income. Um, anyway, so, so I'm I think it still those. works. I'm trying to bust your, <laughs> I'm like trying to bust it, but it's just not working. So, all right. Uh, I apologize, Rod. Let's go into the third one, which is how to use annuities for long-term care purposes. Yeah. So long-term care, uh, you have traditional long-term care insurance. We often talk about how you have long-term care riders on life insurance. Well, you can also have long-term care riders inside of uh, an annuity. They call it an asset-based long-term care solution. And usually this just comes into place, especially for somebody who maybe they're um, too old at the time where they're starting to really think about long-term care. They can't get the traditional insurance. It would be just way too expensive. It's, it's maybe the ship has sailed in terms of doing much with it in terms of the life insurance-based uh, type of rider. Okay, so you've got someone who's older and unhealthy and you're saying they can't qualify or, or not mm -hmm. healthy enough to qualify for life insurance at a favorable enough rate. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they could use this annuity long-term care combo as a way to support. Okay, so how does that work, Rod? Yeah, so you put the money into the annuity. And, and also, I'll say this too, it can be qualified money to go in here. So maybe if you didn't have a bunch of non-qualified money to use in the life insurance side, but with this, then asset-based. Okay, so you put your lump sum in. The actual growth that they're going to give you on that account is is minimal. Like they might be like one, two percent, something like that. So don't plan on the actual account value growing very robustly. That's not its purpose, right? Uh, but what they do is they give you kind of a, a bonus towards the long-term care value. And we talked earlier about the, the idea of an income value that's measured separately than the actual account value. A similar thing is happening here to the amount of money you can receive towards your long-term care. There's this separate long-term care value that is, uh, that is being calculated. And the longer you defer before you need to tap into it, the higher it can go. And you know, usually most products, there's a cap, typically 200 to 400% of what the initial deposit was that will uh, go towards that long-term care value, which which is real dollars now that would come back to you in the case that you need uh, the long-term care. Um, the qualifying factors are the same as you would on your traditional long-term care. It's any two of the six activity, activities of daily living. The six activities are things like bathing and dressing, dressing and being able to get in and out of bed and eating and all that kind of stuff. Uh, or a cognitive impairment would be a second way to qualify for the benefit. I'm trying to think of what the benefit, like why, when, in what situation might someone feel like that's a good, like that's a good pay. Okay. So here's one comes to mind. Mm -hmm. There, the, one of the benefits here is that there is a differentiator between the two values, like you mentioned, we've mm -hmm. got a long-term care value and we've got an actual value. So if I'm not as concerned about income necessarily, uh, but I don't want to lose the money, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to just, I don't want to hand it over or I don't want to even, I may just choose to do something like this instead of paying the premiums on a policy that even if I could qualify, sure, right? For just because I like the idea that I'm not losing money here. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't use the long-term care benefit, I at least have my cash. It may not have grown a lot, mm -hmm. but at least I have, you know, my cash plus a little bit of interest. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes time to pay out, um, there are two kind of variations, again, difference from product to product. Um, they call it a per diem, which just means it's, it's again, like traditional long-term care where they say, hey, you'll get X amount of benefit per month. That you're that you're using it and qualify for it, or there may be another variation where it's kind of like access as needed instead of the per diem. This one's not as common, but but there are some some products where you can get that. So, okay, Rod. To cap things off, we are going to talk about a bonus item, and the, you've you've qualified it as is an intentional mech better. Okay, so is a mech better? Well. First of all, what the heck is a MEC? I mean, most people listening probably know. Modified endowment contract. Basically, what we're doing is we're saying is using life insurance in MEC form more impactful or can it be more impactful than using an annuity? And I guess the first question, Rod, is they don't, they're totally different. So 
explain to me why you would even consider, you know, putting them side by side. The, uh, the IRS helps us do that initially, because if a life insurance policy becomes a Mac, then it is basically considered an annuity. annuity. Yep. <laughs> uh, in, in a lot of different ways, the 59 and a half rule applies. If your policy becomes a mech, all of a sudden, when you if you try to take money out of it before 59 and a half, you're going to get that 10% penalty. Um, but it also is taxed like a, a, an annuity. In other words, the, the kind of that non-qualified annuity that we talked about earlier, um, you were putting after-tax dollars into the end of the life insurance policy to begin with. If it becomes a mech, you still get that, that deferral of taxes. You're not getting a 1099 each year as the account grows. But then when you start to take the money out, in traditional life insurance policies, we talk about taking money out on a tax-free basis, but if it becomes a mech, when you start taking that money back out, you get taxed on the growth. You're taking the growth out first before you start tapping into your basis. Again, the same same way we described earlier on, on the way the non-qualified annuity works. So, okay. So then we've got, okay, well, maybe you should play it out, Rod. Why don't you say, yeah. show us what happens when... Um, I've got a hundred thousand dollars and I'm considering putting it in one or the other. What does it look like in kind of that, that head to head matchup? Yeah. So we just talked about the ways that they're similar. The a mech yep. is similar to an annuity. Let's talk about the ways that they're different with a mech. You don't have that 10% withdrawal period. Right. Yep. Um, or for that matter, the, the surrender period. Right. Yep. Again, we're assuming this is a mech, like a, a whole life mech that doesn't have surrender charges right yeah so there's so, a lot more initially there's a lot more flexibility right mm -hmm. liquidity okay. and um, by the way so. a lot of people don't even know you can do it. and a lot of a lot of insurance companies don't do it but some do correct yep so uh and most of the time um we and other agents will will say hey we want to avoid a mech well we the reason i put intentional in there is i'm saying hey sometimes it it could make sense to set up a life insurance policy with a single lump sum up front, intentionally creating that mech because you capture some of these benefits. Um, specifically, as we talk about the um, the second kind of category we're talking about of, of how to use an annuity for protected, protected growth. Well, if it's in yeah. that, that kind of a whole life policy and it's max, I mean, it's, it's we, we have to talk about max overfunded. This is like more than max overfunded. Cause we just went, we just blew past the, the Mac line. Um, and there's very little insurance, pure insurance associated with this account that has a whole bunch of money sitting in it. Now it's earning that guaranteed interest rate and the dividend on that, on that full amount that's sitting in the cash value. So what ends up being really cool is that many times because we're just utilizing the same growth mechanisms that we have in life insurance, which especially over the last decade have been far mm -hmm. superior to what we've seen in annuities. Mm -hmm. It's been pretty easy to like outperform it. And my guess is, and you know, obviously I'm speculating a little bit, but um, as interest rates move up in the life insurance world, which take a little longer, um, but over a long term, like I think that there's a lot of reasons to think that I, there's a, there's a good chance I could outproduce in terms of just the return using the Mac. Mm -hmm. And so now I've got basically my protected growth annuity minus some of those painful restrictions, not all yeah. of them. Some of them are still there, mm -hmm. but at least some of those that, that could have be, been frustrating are gone. Yeah. And then the other element is we talked about uh, using annuities for long-term care. Well, if it is a life insurance policy that has that long-term care rider, then that comes along with it. So the, the kind of the situation you described where it was like, well, maybe an asset-based long-term care uh, can be a better solution than traditional long-term care because at least I have that asset there. If I don't end up using it, then someone gets some benefit of that money. Well, that goes to a different level with the life insurance policy because with the asset-based long-term care we talked about, don't expect much of a return on that money. One, 2%, whatever. Um, but in the whole life policy, that is dramatically overfunded to create that mech, you're going to expect that five plus percent return on those dollars. And so you have decent return and you have this long-term care rider that you can tap into 
uh, that's created off of the death benefit. So okay, that and that's get a lot more benefit out of it. And Rod, you almost didn't hit on the next piece, okay. which is the actual death benefit. Yep. We're like skipping right over it, right? <laughs> so like, if you think about it, even if all things were equal, let's just say that my mech is, is giving me, I'm expecting it to give me somewhere in the 5% range and I've got a 5% annuity. Well, if all things were equal, it would make way more sense to choose the mech because it comes with a death benefit yep. as well. That you, you're getting the, the exact same interest rate. So mm -hmm. the value of your money is the same. Now you just get this big death benefit that goes with it. Or as you mentioned, long-term care benefit. So yep. like when the, all things are equal, if we can come up with a situation that, that makes more sense and do something like this, we absolutely want to create as much value as we possibly can. Yeah. And I think I said this, but just to be really clear, this is specific to non-qualified money. We're not going to be able to do, oh, good do qualified money into that mech, but for non-qualified money, you're considering an annuity. You might as well consider uh, a mech as well. Okay, Rod. I feel like I've seen a couple of qualified mechs. Did you know that? No. Um, but the but they were specific for long term care. I see. Gotcha. So that's that the sense. only time I've seen it. Life insurance that takes qualified money that's long term, but it it's like a hybrid, so that mm -hmm. doesn't really count. Um, like you said, generally speaking, it's going to be non qualified. Yes, sir. Woo! We've we've really gone down some <laughs> rabbit holes here, Rod. We did. Um, and I was actually thinking when we were going into it, we were we were like going to get into some of like the strategic ways that like our actual strategies and designs. And we didn't even get to that. Right. So we're going to have to do uh, annuities revisited again and talk <laughs> about like, revisited. yeah, we're going to talk about actually how we take, you know, it would be fun. It would probably be fun for people to see like actual case design. So mm -hmm. let's just say we bring in a situation to the table and maybe we could bring an actual client, even someone and, and they could either come in live or just give us their, you know, take the information, but we could show how we actually analyze and look at this. And that could be an interesting, yeah, interesting deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've got annuity basics, annuity revisited, and we're going annuity strategies. There you go. All right. Okay, Rod, this has been fun. Thanks for putting it all together and delivering it. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget about the virtual summit. Go get tickets there. Okay. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the money insights podcast to learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in the show. Please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the money insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial tax or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.